Sorry, and you couldn't find you. I thought I'd help her out. And um, <laughs> good morning, everybody. Is everybody all right? Yeah. 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 Comfortable. Excellent. Um, cool. Today we are um, continuing our series in Exodus, and we are already into chapter three. Um, and this is a really huge chunk that we have got for you today. Um, so I'm going to read it in small sections and try and comment as we go along. And then as we go along, we'll see what we get covered. And then I've got some thoughts towards the end, um, just giving you a picture of what we're going to do today. So last week, we um, looked at the life of Moses and we, well, we saw that he was divinely rescued, if you remember, and he grew up in the court of Pharaoh. He had a privileged lifestyle until he murdered an Egyptian and ran. He subsequently got married and he started a family. And the story today picks up here that Moses tending, tending his father-in-law's sheep, not even his own sheep, but his father-in-law's sheep, and he's been working for 40 years. We learned the 40 years wasn't very long last year, last week, sorry. And um, he's far out on this mountain. And it's described, mountain is described as a bit of a wasteland. And uh, this is his ordinary, everyday life. He has been looking after sheep for 40 years, wandering around, landed on this mountain. And God shows up in his ordinary, everyday so starting in verse 2, we've got this. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that, through the, that, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Let's face it, a burning bush, it's going to grab your attention, isn't it? I mean, if you are in a hot country and there is a tree on fire near you, you are going to notice. And you are going to wonder, is it going to set everything else on fire? It wasn't that long ago that we were seeing all those images from Australia with all the bushfires that were taking place and how quickly they took a hold and how difficult they were to put out. And yet here he is, and not only does he see that, and he's like, well, I've got sheep to protect, and there's a fire. And then he realizes that obviously this bush is not burning up. So of course you would be curious, would you not, to go and discover what's going on. But it isn't any ordinary kind of fire. Verse 4 says, the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I mean, how awesome, how utterly incredible. On Moses's Every ordinary day, Moses has an encounter, an extraordinary encounter. He gets to meet God. God shows up in his workplace. It's like, oh. And then Moses begins to recognize that something extraordinary is happening because God gives Moses his CV. He says, you know, look, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses kind of knows that he's been learning about God. He's heard about God. 
And so when God gives him his CV and presents who he is, he understands that he's having an encounter with God. Not any dodgy Egyptian God or any other supernatural force. This is God. God describes who he actually is. And the second, of course, that he realizes who God is, he hides his face. And I can almost understand that reaction. It feels like quite a, a normal reaction. And God begins to speak to him. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And here we have it, like the basis of everything that's going on. In these few verses, God's redemptive nature is on display. God is responding to the cry of his people. And he's promising to bring them out of suffering and into a good and spacious place. God sees the oppression that the people are facing in Egypt and he says no more. God's plan is being outworked at this precise moment in time in the person of Moses. And Moses is the man for the job. This incredible encounter that the two of them are having where Moses is actually meeting God like a burning bush in front of him. You couldn't really argue with the presence of God at this point. But what does Moses do in the story? Moses objects. Moses has like five objections to what God is doing. He reckons that he's too weak. He reckons that he's too ignorant. He thinks he's too unconvincing. He thinks he's too, too tongue-tied and that he's too ordinary. Let me just say those again. Weak, ignorant, unconvincing, tongue-tied or too ordinary. The conversation goes like this. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And you can think, well, maybe that's just a humble response, isn't it? And, you know, but, but, and he's like discounting himself. You know, I'm no big deal. Why would God pick me? But God in his kindness, God is so kind in this passage, reassures him. And God said, I will be with you. There's a promise there. I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that, that, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Like there's a promise in all of those verses. Not only that God will with you, but there's going to be a sign as well that your people will come out and they will get to worship me on this mountain. But Moses continues to object. Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And this is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. 
go assemble, here's an instruction, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what you have done in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. I practiced that just to be clear, right? This conversation is incredible. God doesn't, first of all, give him a straight answer, like, who are you? What's your name? He says, I am who I say I am. He gives him a, a, a description of who he is, which is like, it's a tough one to get your head around. And because um, we know, don't we, we can all say, oh, God is the beginning and God is the end of all things. We can say that, can't we? But he's not just the beginning and he's not just the end because he's also the top and he's also the bottom of all things. He's like the everything of everything. I, can't, I don't even have enough words to be able to describe who God is. When I was trying to work it out, it was like, the, and, I, and I don't have the English for it, but the, like, when we think of the God of the universe, like, he was before the universe was. Like, like it wasn't that the universe existed and then God came up and take, took some space in the universe. He's, like, outside of the universe. And, and I kind of, that just kind of blows me away, that before he even spoke, he existed. And because he spoke, we have galaxies and Milky Ways and stars and planets. And in all of that, we have, like, our solar system that we know about, and we have, like, in, in all of that space, which God is outside of, we've got, like, planet Earth, which must be, like, a tiny little speck. And then in, on planet Earth, we've got an even tiny little speck, which we call England. And, like, there must be this, like, nano speck. I don't even know what I could possibly describe it as, which is, like, Ashford. And then, and then even in that, even in that little nano, that tiny milli whatever, I don't even have the words. There's like you and me. But the God of the universe, who's outside of everything, knows when a hair falls from your head. Like, isn't that just completely nuts? Like, he computes, he can compute if he wanted to, I guess. How many hairs are exactly on your head right now? I appreciate that for some of you in the room, it's a little bit easier to count. <laughs> But for me, I've still got hair on my head. You know, we'll just. Um, but but what I'm trying to communicate to you here is that our God is way bigger than any words that we can possibly describe, and yet He knows us so intimately, and knows us so well, that and loves us so much that in this particular story, we're reading about Him rescuing His people from the Egyptians. But actually, the reality is. He rescued us. He rescued us from our own suffering. He rescued us through the very person of his son, Jesus. Even today, he says to you, I love you, and I'm calling you by name. And my desire is to have a relationship with you. And you can come to me through the finished work of the cross. But the passage doesn't end there. Going back to the passage, God keeps reassuring uh, Moses. 
And in verse 18, it says this, the elders of the Israel will listen to you. God's telling Moses, the elders will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward his people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and you will plunder the Egyptians. God, the creator of all things, has told Moses and revealed to Moses all these things, given him his personal name, which in some translations we read as Yahweh, in this translation we read it as Lord, to Moses through a burning bush. All of this is happening, this beautiful encounter is happening, and Moses is still protesting. Moses answers, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Uh, uh, you know, he can't Instagram this picture of, the burning bush to tell everybody this is happening. He doesn't have that facility. So I guess there's a little bit of validity to his argument, but, but the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. And the Lord said to him, reach out your hands and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and turned, it turned back into a staff and in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hands inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Two supernatural wonders, bearing in mind actually that the burning bush with a supernatural wonders, I should say three, and a promise of a third, fourth. Uh, you would have thought that was enough. Taking whatever Moses had in his hand, the staff, and turning it into the very thing that symbolizes Egypt, because the snake is like one of those symbols of Egypt, isn't it? And, and then changing it back into a, a staff, and then taking like the hand and making it leprous, you know, making it into something that would guarantee Moses' rejection in that community and then restoring it again to ensure that he is accepted. And then this promise of being able to turn water into blood. And despite all of this, Moses still objects. So Moses says, he, he tries again, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave the humans their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? 
Now go. Another promise. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. <coughs> but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. I'm literally like, I'm reading this and I'm like, do what? All of this has gone on. Just send someone else. And, uh, but then the Lord's, anger against Mo the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and teach you what to do. He will speak to, you, speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hands so you can perform the signs with it. Every time Moses had an objection, God's response to Moses was kind and gave him everything that he needed to accomplish the task that Moses was called to. So I'm trusting that as we've been reading these few verses, that some of the sort of things that I've drawn out, the penny has been dropping, but just to make it clear, our lives are an absolute miracle. The fact that we exist is a sheer miracle. It's the grace of God that, that we're here. And it applies to everybody, whether you know Jesus or not. No matter what kind of upbringing we have, whether it's been privileged, easy, whether it's been hard or difficult, at one stage in our lives, we were all separated from God. Yeah, that's fair, isn't it? But there was a point in our story where, oh, sorry, I should say that, you know, no money, no education, nothing that we could ever have done could have changed that, that status of being separated from God. But there was a point in our journey, in our story, where we came to realize that God has done something about it through the person of Jesus, through his sacrifice. And so one day in your ordinary everyday existence, you came to realize that Jesus was real. And the moment that that happened and God broke in, the trajectory of your path was complete, of your life was completely changed. You had a completely different path to walk. You're now called to run towards Jesus. God rescued you. You were called out of darkness into something, into your calling. He didn't call you um, without purpose. He had a plan for you. In the same way that he had a plan for Moses, he has one for you too. God's love for you in rescuing you is grace. But an experience of God's graciousness is not an end in itself. It's a commissioning for mission. An experience of God's graciousness is not our goal, but it is a commissioning for mission. Let me try and put it another way. If you can recall the story of Jesus and his disciples, in Matthew 4, verse 18, we read of Jesus calling Peter and Andrew the fishermen. And he invites them to follow him. And he says, come with me, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't invite them just to sit at his feet, which is part of our working out of our faith. We do sit at the feet of Jesus and worship him. But actually, he called them, and in calling them, he commissioned them. He cleverly used that fishing analogy because, well, they were fishermen, and that made sense. I'm going to make you fishers of men. 
And I was thinking about that for a, a little while. I was like, well, we don't have very many professional fishermen in the room, do we? Or fisher people, is that what I'm meant to say these days? Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. I've got to be right. Um, we might have a few hobby fisher people in the room, um, but I don't know if we've got any professional fishermen in the room. Um, but I do know that we've got a lot of teachers in the room. So I was thinking, well, how, do, how would that work? And I can just hear him saying, you know, hey, teacher, come follow me. We're not going to sit and talk about Ofsted, but I'm going to show you how to make lifelong learners. And lifelong learners is just another expression of what it is to be a disciple. We're lifelong learners of Jesus. Or what about, I know that we've also got a lot of medics in the room. You know, we've got some nurses and doctors and physios and other medical type people in the room. I mean, just imagine Jesus calling you and going, hey, come follow me. We're not going to talk about waiting times, but we are going to, I am going to show you what it is to care for the sick and pray for them in such a way that people can experience my love and compassion through the things that you do. See, whatever your gift mix is, whatever your talent is, whatever you have been trained in, whatever it is that you do day in, day out, is, is the way God has made you. And he has a role, purpose, and plan for you. You were called out of something into something. You were called with purpose in mind. We've all been called and commissioned. And Jesus has something for you to do. That's why you're here. Why you're part of Gateway Church. It's why you're in the neighborhood that you live in. It's why you're in the, the, the jobs that you're in. It's why you're in that particular office. It's why you're at that school gate. It's why you go to that particular club and not another particular group that you're part of. Jesus has work for you to do. You are called. The gospel should so transform us that we then continue to serve other people and show them God's grace and mercy. Moses had a whole bunch of excuses lined up, like he needed proof. And I suspect that some of us have used those excuses. We might have couched them slightly differently. But actually, when I looked at all of those excuses, I realized they were all rooted in one thing. They're all rooted in fear. Fear of what others might think. Fear of what others might do. Fear of what others might say to you. And who are the others? Well, the others are people that don't yet know Jesus. The others are the people whose lives can also be transformed by God's grace and mercy. We don't need the proof that Moses needed today. We don't. He had the burning bush, he had the miracles, but actually we've got greater proof than that because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. That's who makes us aware of who Jesus is. That's what makes us realize why we do what we do because of the Holy Spirit. Our salvation is guaranteed. In Ephesians 1, it says this. You were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So let's use our God-given gifts and talents 
in such a way that we fulfill our calling because we know that we're saved for purpose. However, I just want to make a couple of comments. We all know that we're called, but we also know that actually sometimes we look at other people and we think we can't do what they're doing. We don't do it like that. I can't possibly get involved with like that. But actually, I just want to say to you this morning, this is the prophetic thing that I felt God saying, that actually you're called to run in your lane. You're not called to run in anybody else's lane. And you're not called to compare yourself to other people. Your call is literally to look at Jesus and to see him and to do the thing that he has called you to do. You will waste your time wishing you were more like him or more like her. You will waste time doing that. Let that go. Put that down now. Today you are called to run your race. And we do that together. We encourage one another. We spur one another on. It's not that I'm calling you to be individual. But I am calling you, I'm just really saying, please don't compare yourself to other people. But do the thing that Jesus has called you to do. So who has God called you to serve? Who comes to mind when, you, when I say to you, Oh, they really, you know, they, could, they, they, they need to know Jesus. Who is it in your workplace? Who is it in your street? Who is it somebody that you see day in, day out? Can I encourage you to keep praying for them often and asking God for opportunities to bless them, to serve them, and to help them come to know Jesus? Cool? You can smile at me, it's all right. You're allowed to. Right, let me just pray for us and then I can close the meeting. Yeah, okay. Oh, Father, I thank you that each person here is called. I thank you that your love for us is so incredible and so perfect and so beautiful. Thank you that you have given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I thank you that you've sealed that within us so that we can know you personally and intimately. I thank you that you've prepared for each and every one of us good works to do that will bring you glory, that will bring you fame. And Holy Spirit, I just ask for more of you now. Father, that you'd call us to be people that know that we are called, knowing that we've been called for purpose, knowing that we're called for mission. Pour out your blessing now. Amen.